thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Once again, it's the Indians coming back to win. It's the Cleveland Indians 8, the Pittsburgh Pirates 6. The magic of Progressive Field stays alive. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played, and what a game the Indians gave us to close out the 2020 season. That's right, we made it. We made it all the way through a baseball season in this crazy 2020 year. We should give ourselves a pat on the back just for making it all the way through this season. Thank you if you've been listening all season. Thank you for sticking with me. I hope you've enjoyed the show, the breakdown, all the stats that have come your way. I really like talking baseball, and when I couldn't find it on the radio, when, you know, I just didn't have enough discussion of baseball in my life, I figured, why not do what everybody does, start a podcast. So I appreciate you sticking with me. If you enjoy the show, if you're listening on Apple, I know some of you have already given this a star rating, but if you could jump on really quick, give the show a star rating, make sure it pops on those Apple charts, and then maybe people will find it come playoff time, help the show grow. I'm blown away with how many listens, how many downloads we've already gotten in this short 60-game season. So Thank you to everybody out there, and let's get into this game because you might think that the last game of the season is a throwaway, right? It's a bullpen game, Quantrill's pitching. You know, it's a throwaway game. No, no, yesterday was not. Yesterday was a really, really good baseball game. It was a high-scoring baseball game. So if you're a pitching fanatic, if you're one of those pitching ninja, pitching fanatics, then it probably wasn't the game for you. But there is, because it was a bullpen game, it's actually really fun because there's some great pitching in here. There was some bad pitching in here. And that's kind of the risk you run when you do a bullpen game, right? You're... You're eliminating that factor of a pitcher can go out there and dominate a game the way we know Shane Bieber can dominate a game, where we've seen Plesak and Carrasco dominate games. So you're now taking that and dividing it up amongst your entire bullpen and hoping that instead of one to three guys can go out there and dominate, you're now hoping five, six, seven guys can go out there and dominate. And the odds say that one of those guys is going to suck, right? It's just... The odds say one of those guys is going to go out there and have a really bad inning, give up some runs, and yeah, we saw that yesterday. We saw some dominating performances from some of the relievers, and we saw some guys struggle. So let's get into it. Let's see how it all went down. Like I said, Quantrill is on the mound to start for the Indians. Starting for the Pirates is JT Brubaker, and uh, he did okay. It wasn't a great start from Brubaker. So uh, he's I don't think he's really known as a dominant pitcher for them. Uh, I think he, coming into this, I think he was, let's see what his record was. Well, he finishes 1-3 on this season with a 4-9-4 ERA. So not, not a great season for JT Brubaker. I mean, the Pirates are not really known for their pitching right now. So, uh... Quantrill has a decent start. He does give up a single to Key Brian Hayes, and that would be important because that would be Key Brian Hayes' seventh consecutive hit uh, and seven consecutive at-bats. Not only that, there are no foul balls in those seven at-bats. When he made contact, when he swung and made contact, it was for a hit, 
which is pretty impressive. I, I, they talked about him a lot on the broadcast yesterday. He is definitely a Pirates player that they are going to try to build around and someone to keep an eye on. So he gets his seventh consecutive hit here, but Quantrill gets out of it. The Indians don't do much in the first inning here. Jose Ramirez is hit by a pitch. You didn't that ooh, you don't want to see not on the last day. Uh, it hit him in the meaty part of the thigh. It looked like it just gave him a bad Charlie horse because he would bounce back and have a pretty decent day. Santana would double. It would get exciting, move Jose Ramirez over to third, but Famil Reyes would strike out swinging. And you're probably pretty frustrated at this point because we need Fermio Reyes. We need this guy in the playoffs. Well, it comes around later in the game. All right, in the top of the second, I'm going to call out defense right now because a lot of times defense gets buried in these game summaries, right? Uh, you know, I miss it sometimes. I forget about it sometimes, even though in the moment I'm thinking, what a play. What a fantastic play. Well, Francisco Lindor made a couple of um, incredible diving stops yesterday the range on this guy is insane and it's something where uh if the Francisco Lindor era is coming to an end in Cleveland it's something we are going to miss Uh, until maybe one of these guys like Arias or I think Rancho Brian Rancho is a shortstop prospect until one of these guys comes up uh if if we do move on to Yu Chang starting a shortstop or something like that He's he's a fine deep defensive player. Yu Chang's a good player, but we're gonna miss these amazing diving stops. This incredible range that Lindor has. It's crazy here in the top of the second because he makes a diving stop to his right, fires back across the field. They think he's got Brian Reynolds out. Reynolds does the old I'm you know I'm safe you know as he's crossing first base move. Uh, and they review it, and it turns out he did. He did beat the throw. It was bang, bang, but his foot came down first, so he's safe. But it's in all the highlights. The Indians tweet out the play because Lindor's stop, Lindor's dive in the ball was that good. Even though Reynolds can fly down the baseline and he's able to beat it by a step, I mean, if that's any other runner in the Pittsburgh lineup, he's probably out besides Reynolds. So, uh, that is funny to see. Uh, how often do you see a guy make a highlight defensive play when the base runner actually is safe and gets a hit? So you don't see that very often. However, the next batter would ground into a double play, and then uh, then things get weird. So the defense yesterday, it helped them, and it hurt them a lot. There were some dumb defensive plays here. And JT Riddle's... Reached on error is definitely up there because Santana and I think Cesar Hernandez, it was a pop-up into shallow right field, and they collided and dropped the ball. And it doesn't get more Little League than that, right? That is the most Little League play you can do in baseball, colliding into each other and letting the ball drop. Riddle goes to second. What does Jose Ozuna do? He just hits a bloop single into right field. Lublo actually comes up with a barehanded, wanted to throw home, but it was such a lazy fly ball, lazy bloop that uh, JT Riddle easily scores. And then uh, the Pirates take a 1-0 lead in the top of the second. So Quantrill's, you know, he Quantrill did all right in this start. He only gave up one earned run. Here is the unearned run that he gives up. He should have been out of this inning. Ozuna should have never even came up to bat. 
The Pirates come back in the top of the third, and they continue to add on. This time, it's Key Brian Hayes in his eighth consecutive at-bat. In his eighth consecutive at-bat, he homers to center field. It's a ball that Mercado... Mercado might have had a chance at this ball to steal a home run if he had sprinted back to the to the wall. We'll see this come up again with the Indians up to bat. Instead, he drifted like he thought he had a chance to catch this ball, and he realizes he's at the wall. He leaps, and he cannot make the catch. Key Brian Hayes gets his eighth consecutive hit, his fifth homer on the season, and now it's 2-0 Pirates. There's the earned run that Quantrill gave up. And for the most part, Quantrill was good. He he was staying out of the middle of the strike zone. He was really pounding the left edge of the plate, if you're from the catcher's point of view, the left edge of the plate. So into righties, away to lefties. And, I mean, he was throwing his sinker in there a ton. His changeup was on that edge. Uh, the only thing that was really breaking back the other way was his slider. And the hits, the hits were all coming. Man, he gave up a lot of hits from the inside, uh, from right down the middle of the zone. So when he missed, when he let that ball creep right down the middle of the zone, he was getting hit. Sinker, 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 and it was a slider that I think Key Brian Hayes hit out. And it's a slider pretty much right down the middle. So uh, that's what Quantrill was doing yesterday. There are two fastballs that are way up at the batter's head. I'm pretty sure these were both Colin Moran strikeouts. Colin Moran kept chasing balls way, way above his head. In fact, that's how Quantrill would answer the key Brian Hayes home run. He would strike out Colin Moran as the next batter and get Josh Bell to ground out to end the third. And I believe that was it for Cal Quantrill. He doesn't go as deep as he did in his other spot start, but still, four spots start, three innings pitched, four hits, Two runs, only one earned, and two strikeouts with that homer allowed is not a terrible line for a spot starter. If they catch that pop-up, that line looks a lot better. So, again, a really good bullpen game from Quantrill. And with no off days in the playoffs, it'll be really, really interesting to see if teams need to do a bullpen game. You know that the Tampa Bay Rays are thinking about it. Uh, we So, yeah, will other teams, these teams that only have, like, two or three good starters? I mean, a lot of teams don't have the depth the Indians have. So, will they turn to bullpen games? We shall see. All right, it's time for the Indians to answer back. All right, top, bottom of the third inning here. Lindor flies out. Cesar Hernandez singles. He gets actually gets a bunt single down and beats it out. Great running, great legs from Cesar Hernandez. Jose Ramirez hits it hard, but he lands out to left field. A wild pitch moves Cesar Hernandez up, and it wouldn't matter because Carlos Santana, on a 3-0 count, gets a pitch that actually was probably ball four, gets the bat out, reaches it, and hits a home run to center field, his eighth home run on the season. Carlos Santana, his second extra base hit of the game. He was an extra base hit machine yesterday. So they tie the game up at 2-2, and you kind of wake up from your days here, and you realize, oh, wait a minute. The Indians are definitely in this thing. All right, fourth inning, Phil Maiden comes in to pitch. Phil Maiden, it was good Phil Maiden yesterday. He gets a ground out, line out, and then a strikeout of JT Riddle to end the inning. So Maiden has himself a good inning. All right, the next picture up was Cam Hill. Cam Hill gives up a homer to Jose Azuna to lead off the inning. Probably not what you want. 
coming out of the bullpen. It was Ozuna's fourth homer on the season. I think he homered last the day before, too. It makes it 3-2 Pirates. Then Adam Frazier would double off him. They would intentionally walk Cam Hill before take. They would sorry. They would intentionally walk Key Brian Hayes before then taking Cam Hill out of the game. They bring in Oliver Perez. Oliver Perez gets what should have been a double play to get out of the inning, but Lindor has trouble with the transfer at short. He can't get the ball out of his glove, so he rushes the throw, throws it into the dirt. It gets past Santana, and a run comes in to score. Adam Frazier comes in to score, makes it four two Pirates. Shouldn't have happened. Should not have happened. Josh Bell then gets hit by a pitch, but Brian Reynolds is called out on strike, so Oliver Perez gets out of it there. So Perez's line on the day doesn't look terrible. That run is actually attributed to Cam Hill, but uh, it's an unearned run. Perez actually technically goes two-thirds of an inning, no hits, no runs, and one strikeout. So, like I said, there was some good yesterday. There was some bad. Cam Hill struggled yesterday. All right, the Indians don't do anything in the fifth inning. It's looking rough. It's 4-2 Pirates. Your scoreboard watching at this point, Chicago is losing. You're, you're thinking there's still a chance. We got a chance. We got to get this offense going because there's a chance to take the number two seed in the American League Central. Chicago's getting blown out by the Cubs. Well, in the sixth inning, Wickring comes in a pitch, and he's been really good all season, but not yesterday. Yesterday, he really struggled. He left a a lot of pitches in the middle of the plate. Let's pull up his uh, pitch description here. And yeah, Wickren left a lot of stuff. He was throwing across to to the inside to lefties, outside to righties, the right edge of the plate from the catcher view. But everything he left in the middle of the plate got hit hard. So he strikes out Gonzalez, but then JT Riddle singles. Ozuna doubles. Ozuna had himself a game. What the heck was Ozuna's final? Yeah, he was three for four, two RBIs, two runs scored. Ozuna had a double and a homer and a single. Man, Ozuna, for a guy who's batting, finishes the season batting 205 with a 641 OPS, we made Ozuna look like a power hitter yesterday. So he doubles. Andrew Susak walks, but that's okay because you had a base open. However, it's not okay because Adam Frazier would double on a line drive to right field. Two runs would come in to score. It's now 6-2 to two Pirates. And in traditional Sandy Alomar fashion, and by the way, Sandy Alomar will be managing the playoffs. They announced Francona is just taking the season off. It is going to be, and you know, it probably is a situation where Francona is like, look, you coach these guys here. You got them into the playoffs it's you, you're driving the bus. So take it all the way to the end of the season. I would probably feel weird as a manager like that. If I had to take a medical leave and was out all season to come back and try to manage the playoffs. So it's going to be Alomar making these decisions. And these are the kind of decisions he makes. He doesn't take Wickren out here. He leaves him in. And I mean, at a 6-2 game, what else could go wrong? He strikes out Key Brian Hayes. Finally, we get Key Brian Hayes out. And then Colin Moran grounds out to end that inning. And that might have been another great stop. I know Lindor had one more great diving stop in this game. I don't know which batter it was against. All right, bottom of the sixth inning here. Indians come back up. Now they're down 6-2. to two. Now you're, 
you're happy because the Cleveland Browns won yesterday, but you flipped over to the Indians game at this point, and you're thinking, hey, man, they're going to they're gonna let this series against the Pirates get away. Come on. The win probability chart is way up in the Pirates' favor at this point. And you're thinking, what can the Indians do? Well, the Indians can hit. And Jose Ramirez hits a ground rule double down the left field line. Another extra base hit for Jose Ramirez. Carlos Santana would walk. All the Tana fans celebrate. And then for Mil Reyes, the same situation we were in in the first inning where Jose Ramirez and Carlos Santana were on base. Well, this time for Mil Reyes delivers. He goes to center field, just right center, right of center. His ninth home run on the season, three-run home run. And this is the kind of clutch hitting we will need from Fermil Reyes. He doesn't have to, I mean, we actually don't need him to be a 300 hitter. But there's going to be key moments in every one of these playoff games where he's going to come up with runners on base. And to be able to deliver a big three home run, put a cricket number up on the board in a flash, that is what we need from Fermil Reyes. Like I said, his ninth home run on the season, and now it's 6-5, and everybody who was starting to fall asleep, you were getting into your Sunday nap, suddenly snapped awake and realized, wait a minute here, we have a chance at this thing. There would be a little more of a rally, but the Pirates would get out of it. Karinczak comes in to pitch the seventh, and he was nasty. Strikes out the side. Josh Bell swinging. Brian Reynolds swinging. Eric Gonzalez swinging. Let me take a look at the pitch chart for uh, James Karinczak. And this one was interesting because let's go to the pitch types. The fastballs were all up. And I mean, there were some that were way up. And uh, he got some swinging strikes even above batter's heads on some of these. So uh, fastballs were all up in the zone. A lot of fastballs. He even threw a couple of high curveballs and then dropped three curveballs really low in the zone and uh, got some swinging strikes down there as well. So Karinczak being nasty with the high fastballs and the breaking curveballs, and that's a good combination. That's actually a really good pitch mix. He threw 10 fastballs and five curveballs. I like that. That's a good balance for Karinczak right there. you got to use the fastball. All right, seventh inning here. We're down a run still. Cesar Hernandez is actually hit by the pitch to start the inning. Jose Ramirez doubles, moves Cesar Hernandez over to third. Jose Ramirez was an extra base machine yesterday. Carlos Santana then doubles his third extra base hit on the day, his seventh double in the season. It's uh, to right field. Cesar Hernandez scores. Jose Ramirez scores. If I remember this one correctly, somehow he shoots this ball. Oh, this is the one he had in the gap. The double earlier, he actually beat the shift on. Somehow he hit it in between the shifted second baseman and first baseman. That was his double early in the game. This double, he actually goes opposite field and just drops it in a gap in right center field. And it rolls all the way to the wall. And suddenly the Indians are up one. It's six to seven. Indians are leading now. On a wild pitch, he moves up to third, and then Fermil Reyes is able to hit a sack fly. Carlos Santana can turn on the wheels when he needs to. He comes in to score and makes it 8-6 to six Indians. All right, now the Indians' bullpen can really go to work with a lead here. And I can't believe this happened. 
after Phil in Louisville called in yesterday and asked about Adam Simber, he actually got added to the roster. They sent Logan Allen, I think, back down to the alternate site or back into the player pool. And Adam Simber's back. Phil, you got your wish. Not only that, Adam Simber is in a pressure situation here. He's coming in in the eighth inning with the Indians with a two-run lead looking to clinch the fourth spot in the playoffs. What does Adam Simber do? He gets JT Riddle to ground out, gets Jose Ozuna to ground out. He does walk Susak, and at that point, the Indians were not messing around. We are not letting them tie this game. With a left-handed batter up, they bring in Brad Hand out of the bullpen, even though we've seen that Simber actually has done okay against lefties this season. We looked that up yesterday. Uh, they bring Brad Hand out of the bullpen, and it works. He gets Nate, Adam Frazier to line out to end that threat. So, uh, Adam Simber's pitching, he was down in the zone. The sinkers were mostly down, nothing above the belt with the sinkers. And the sliders, he was kind of using effectively all over the place. He threw a couple down and in. So those were some hard sliders for righties to hit. And then he threw a couple up and away, which is an interesting use of his sidearm delivery, his submarine delivery. To have a slider zip up and across the zone is probably really hard to hit. And, uh, They were all taken for balls yesterday, so no one actually chased any of these pitches, but it's definitely a look that a batter has to be aware of there. That pitch can not only bury itself in the bottom corner, but can zip up and across the zone. So there you go, Phil and Louisville. Perfect, right? It's exactly what you wanted. And then in the ninth inning, Brad Hand would stay in. He'd get Key Brian Hayes to fly out. He'd get Colin Moran to strike out swinging, and then he'd get Josh Bell to fly out to right field to end the game. And that win, coupled with the White Sox loss yesterday, actually clinches the number four seed for the Indians in the postseason playoffs. So here's how the postseason shakes down. Tampa Bay wins the the number one overall seed. They lock it up. They're the one seed. The Toronto Blue Jays stay. They had a chance. So many teams yesterday had a chance to control their own destiny, and so many teams yesterday blew it. Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays lost. The Yankees lost, which would have given the Blue Jays a chance. All they had to do was win, and they could have moved up and faced us. Instead, they lose. They face Tampa Bay. It would have been great to see the Yankees have to play Tampa Bay in the first round because the Yankees get destroyed by Tampa Bay all season. Um, In the National League, the Phillies had a chance. Um, The San Francisco Giants had a chance. They all controlled their own destiny. The Giants actually lost three in a row to end the season. So did the Phillies were on a three-game losing streak to end the season. Four teams from the NL Central all got in, including Milwaukee with a losing record of 29-31. and And in the American League, Houston also gets in with a losing record of 29-31. and I think the people who are going to be against this new playoff format are definitely going to use this as ammunition. The fact that two teams got in with losing records. Now, we see it all the time in the NBA. Those eighth seeds, especially in the um, Eastern Conference, those eighth seeds in the NBA usually have a losing record. So uh, it happens in other sports, but, man, it's going to be tough in baseball to convince fans that a team with a losing record deserves to be in the Major League Baseball playoffs when – In years past, I mean, you have to play so hard and so well to get into the playoffs. So we'll see if this sticks. Or I mean, it's fun this year, and it is fun to see this bracket. So uh, the Yankees are the five seed. They come to Cleveland. 
Cleveland clinches the number four seed, the home field advantage in the wild card round. We would face the winner of Tampa Bay, Toronto. Houston uh, has to go to Minnesota, and then the White Sox have to go all the way out to Oakland to face the A's. So we avoid the rest of the American League Central. They're all facing in the Los Angeles bracket. We're in the San Diego bracket. Um, In the NL, it's the Dodgers versus the Brewers, the Cardinals versus the Padres. So the Padres and the Dodgers are on a crash course for each other in the NLDS. The Miami Marlins got in after, remember, they were like the first team to come down with COVID. Like the whole team got a case of COVID. And they get to face the Cubs, and the Reds get in, and they get to face the Braves in the first round. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of fun matchups here. There is going to be a lot of good baseball this week. And speaking of this week, the Indians, because they're facing the Yankees, and Hamilton made this joke in the broadcast yesterday, but because they're facing the Yankees, their Tuesday game and their Wednesday game are both going to be 7 o'clock primetime games on ESPN. So you are getting the national spotlight here, Indians fans. And as much as we'd like to think it's because of Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, it is definitely because we're facing the Yankees and ESPN thinks that the only way to get ratings is to put the Yankees on TV. So that's what's coming up. MVP for a day. Man, I got to go with Carlos Santana. Like I said, he was an extra base machine yesterday. Two doubles, including that one that beat the shift, and then the one opposite field one, and then the big home run, the big two-run home run that got us on the board first. Four RBIs on the day for Santana. Three runs scored. It was a really, really great performance by the heart of our lineup. Hernandez had two runs scored, including that bunt single. He didn't get on base twice, but he did... Well, I'm guessing he reached on a fielder's choice or something at some point because he scores two runs. Jose Ramirez has two hits, two doubles for him, three hits for Santana. For Mil Reyes, one hit but four RBIs and a run scored. And even Josh Naylor had two hits yesterday, batting six. So uh, great job by the heart of our lineup, but MVP for a day goes to Carlos Santana. All right. Uh, So we got the Yankees coming up next. It is going to be Shane Bieber in game one against Garrett Cole. And then in game two, it's going to be Carlos Carrasco against Tanaka. We thought that Plesak would go game two, but they're going with the veteran here. They're going with Carrasco, and Plesak would definitely be used in game three if necessary. So we'll see. Hopefully it's not even necessary, and Plesak could be lined up to start the divisional series. So... That are those are your pitching matchups. They don't. The Yankees haven't announced who they would use if a game three is necessary. So we shall see if it comes to that. Bieber against Garrett Cole, man, that is probably the toughest pitching matchup in the American League matchups. And uh, you knew it. I mean, Garrett Cole is the what do they give him? Three hundred plus million. I mean, a ridiculous amount of money. And Bieber's probably still pitching on his rookie contract. I mean, he's pre-arbitration. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if anything shows the uh, the financial differences in baseball right now, it's the Yankees matching up against the Indians with the Indians hosting at home in the first round of this wild card series. All right. Uh, we've got a few minutes here. Let's just look really quickly 
Um, we've been tracking the American League MVP all season, and F- Jose Ramirez still leads all of baseball in, I think you've seen this out there, F-War, right? Why F-War? Why not just war? Well, it's because it's from fan graphs. So uh, baseball reference, fan graphs, everybody calculates war slightly, slightly differently. Deep in the formula, there are some slight differences. So if you see people post F-War, they're talking about fan graphs. And we all know Fangraphs is the quickest to update their stats compared to baseball reference. So we're on Fangraphs this morning. And yeah, 3.4 war leads all of baseball. Looking at just the American League MVP running, Anthony Rendon is actually second with 2.8 war in the American League. Jose Abreu is third at 2.7. Now, looking at some of the common stats, home runs, it is still Luke Voigt who's running away with this thing. 22 home runs in 60 games. That's an incredible pace. Jose Abreu is second with 19. Jose Ramirez is third with 17. Run scored is actually, besides war, run scored is one of the only common stats where Jose Ramirez actually leads the league. That was the hard part for me wrapping my head around the argument for Jose Ramirez being MVP this year because Jose Abreu leads the league in some stats, right? He can hang his hat and he's number one in some stats, including RBIs. But Jose Ramirez leads the league in runs. This is the only common stat where Jose Ramirez is leading the league in something, where he's number one in something. So besides war, uh, this is something he can hang his hat on. Like I said, RBIs, it's Jose Abreu at 60. Jose Ramirez is down at 46. Um, ISO. ISO is a stat we don't talk about often. ISO is isolated power. Now, what it takes out singles out of the equation, and it wants to look at just your extra base hits, your doubles, your triples, your home runs, and it weights those things. So uh, home runs have a higher value than doubles do. And actually, in isolated power, Jose Ramirez is better than Jose Abreu. In isolated power, he's 315. It's made to look like a batting average. He's hitting 315 in his isolated power. Jose Abreu is only hitting 300. Now, of course, Luke Voigt, because he's leading the league in home runs, his isolated power is 333, and Mike Trout's is 322. So Jose Ramirez is third, Jose Abreu is fourth, when you're just looking at their power. Also, a thing to note, Jose Ramirez strikes out a lot less than those guys. They're all over 20% strikeouts. Jose Ramirez is at 16.9% strikeouts. So there's another thing to keep in mind when you're arguing about whether Jose Ramirez should be the MVP or not. Um, let's go over to, uh, some of the advanced stats here. We're trying to make the case for Jose Ramirez here, right? We're all trying to make the case in weighted runs created him and Jose Abreu are one and two. Jose Abreu has 53 runs created. Jose Ramirez has 52 runs created. Um, if you flip this around and you look at all these different advanced stats, tell you different stories. If you look at the weighted, it's W-R-A-A. This is weighted runs above average. So again, where league average would be set to zero, this is a question of how many runs created above an average player did our player do? Well, in this case, it's flipped now. Jose Ramirez is number one at 20.3. Jose Abreu is right behind him at 20.2. I'm telling you, this could not be closer here. It's insane how close these two players are when it comes to these stats. 
Uh, if if Jose Abre if Jose Ramirez's batting average was just a little bit higher, there'd be such a good argument for him. Um, in win probability added, uh, Jose Ramirez actually comes in a little bit low. He's in ninth place in this. But if you look at just the plus, the just the win probability added plus, so everything that adds into that total, he comes in second. Jose Abreu actually comes in sixth. Brandon Lowe from the Rays comes in first at 6.23. Jose Ramirez is at 6.22. So he has more negative win probability subtracted, which gives his total to be lower but than Jose Abreu. But I don't know if that means there were more errors defensively or something like that. But the win probability add plus, he's actually second in the league there. All right, I got a new stat for you. It's... I'm telling you, these stats are insane. All right, this new one we're going to talk about here is, let me get over to the win probability. It's the RE24. Now, you've probably seen this on Fangraphs or seen this somewhere, and it, you just gloss over it. You're like, I'm not even going to dive into that. What does RE24 mean? Well, it's run expectancy based on 24 base out states. That sounds insane, right? But basically, it's the run expectancy. What is this hitter going to do? What's the probability this hitter is going to do based on 24 different situations, including how many outs there are in the inning and how many runners are on base, what position the runners are are on the base path. So there's 24 different combinations of that. So it's the run expectancy based on those 24 different situations. Well, Jose Ramirez comes in second. He's just under Jose Abreu on this one. Jose Abreu is 23.13. That's the run expectancy based on all these different situations. Jose Ramirez is at 21.53. So it is neck and neck with these two guys. It is absolutely neck and neck for the MVP here. For the Cy Young Award, let's look really quickly at Shane Bieber. Why not? Let's make this a long episode. Shane Bieber is dominating everything. He uh, Everybody tweeted out that he got the triple crown when it comes to, to pitching. He in the wins. He's eight wins, leads the league in wins. Uh, Yu Darvish is the only other pitcher to get to eight wins in strikeouts. Let me go over to the standard stats here. He dominated the league when it comes to strikeouts. He had 122 strikeouts. The next closest was DeGrom at 104, and then Trevor Bauer at 100. So he dominates in strikeouts. And ERA, he dominates the league in ERA. His ERA comes in at 1.63. The next closest was Trevor Bauer at 1.73. And the next closest was Dallas Keuchel at 1.99. If you want to get into the advanced stats here, again, strikeouts per nine inning. It is Shane Bieber running away with this thing at 14.2. Nobody even comes close to Grom is next at 13.76. Um, when it comes to whip, actually, Kenta Maeda, we've been talking about all season. He hangs on to the lead in whip. He finishes the season with a sub one whip. It's at 0.75. Trevor Bauer is next at 0.79. Actually, Lamette from the Padres comes in third at 0.86, and Shane Bieber is at 0.87. That is a really, really good whip. And one of the reasons Kenton Maeda's whip is so low is because his batting average balls in play against him is at 208, 
which is ridiculously low. Shane Bieber's is at 267, which means the defense behind Kenta Maeda was either fantastic or he got really lucky that the balls put in play did not go for hits and turned into outs. Um, even in FIP, uh, fielding independent pitching. So these are only the things that Shane Bieber can control. Shane Bieber is once again dominating the league in this. He's at a 2.07 FIP. Leads the league. You Darvish comes in second at 2.23. And then I'll give you a new one. One more new stat here. This is Sierra. This is Skill Interactive ERA. And it's the, as Fangrass puts it, the newest in a long line of ERA estimators. Like its predecessors, FIP and expected FIP, Sierra attempts to answer the question, what is the underlying skill level of this pitcher? Taking out the... um, the things the fielders did around him will focus on the things he did instead. Um, it, it makes strikeouts are even better. Walks aren't as bad, especially if you don't allow a lot of them. And then it says balls in play are complicated. I'm guessing this is a really, really, really complicated statistical measure right here. But when it comes to Sierra, once again, we've got Shane Bieber leading the pack with a 2.52 Sierra DeGrom comes in second at 2.7. So Shane Bieber is clearly running away on that side of the ball with the Cy Young Award. And should he be in conversation for MVP? Absolutely he should be in conversation for MVP. He has been that dominant so far this year. All right, it was a long episode. There was a lot to get to. I actually think there's an off day tomorrow. There's a travel day for everybody to get to where they need to get to for this wild card series. We got the Yankees coming into town, like we said. And I think during the off day, I'm going to do a full season wrap-up for the Indians. We'll talk all the stats. We'll talk how everybody finished the season, You know where they ended up. There's a lot to discuss there, so we'll have we'll have a special episode tomorrow with no game where we just talk stats, and then we'll get into the uh, American League wild card game coming back on Wednesday morning. So those are all my thoughts. Thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final yesterday from Cleveland. It was the Indians eight, the Pirates six to end the 2020 season. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show, just like Phil and Louisville did. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.